So, trust, well, that's a big one, isn't it? Gratitude, oh, I'm talking about giving money and, I'm, and someone's going to be grateful for that, isn't that awesome? So say it again, faith, trust, gratitude, sow the seed. There you go, well, good. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to share your word. We thank you, Lord, that your joy is abundant. And no matter what happens today, and no matter what happens next week, no matter what happens tomorrow, your joy is still our strength. Your peace surpasses understanding. It surpasses the situation that we are in. And we thank you for the presence of peace right now. As we sit and hear of your word and me Babylon, Father, I pray that you'll speak to our heart, that ultimately it's your voice that we hear. Lord, we trust you. We're grateful for your presence. We're thankful, Lord God, above all else that you are here. In Jesus' name, amen. So what were those words? Faith, trust, gratitude, sow the seed. Is that right? Awesome. So that's sort of what I'm talking about in a nutshell. We can pack up and go home now if you like, but, but let me unpack this a little bit for you. Uh, I used to work at a place called Collierimella. Give me a wave if you know the place, Collierimella. It's an agricultural industrial supply uh, store. It's also an engineering supply store, but it's also an engineering fabrication place. So in a, in a place like Griffith, which is um, quite all, um, agricultural, as you, those who have grown up in Griffith understand, uh, we did a lot of stuff in relation to the seasons. Um, the busiest time of the year was, was harvest, okay? But uh, we'd never had a busy harvest if we didn't have a good sowing season. Does that make sense? You, if you don't sow the seed, you don't get the harvest. Jamie's sitting there going, oh, I remember sowing season. <laughs> um, what would happen is, uh, so you might think, well, hang on, Steve, you're, you're talking about a shop. What's that got to do with sowing and, and uh, harvesting and things like that? Well, what happens when you're using machinery to sow a crop? You get breakdowns. If, if you're using machinery for anything, you've got to maintain it as well, right? That, that's a fair thing. You, know, you, you can drive down the road in your car. If you never change the oil, I tell you it's going to stop. Somewhere along the line, that oil's going to turn to a thick black mess. And the engine's going to seize and you're going to have problems. Same with a motorbike. It doesn't matter what type of machinery you've got. You've got to service your equipment and you've got to make sure it's maintained. And, and the good farmer always maintained his equipment. And... Uh, the reason was, I, I remember people would change out bearings in things for, uh, just, just, just in case. You know, they, would, they would change it all out so they went into the season with fresh uh, maintained equipment and they knew that they had a better chance of getting through the season without a breakdown. Because breakdowns cost money, right? So, uh, so these were the things we always had to work through. Was how can we support the diligent farmer and have the right products on the shelf at the right time of the year so that they can utilize our services. Because if we didn't have the stuff on the shelf, we weren't going to make money. Does that make sense? Like, I might have been in a shop scenario, but if I wasn't supporting what was going on 
in our locality, I wouldn't, we would never have been able to make money. So I didn't have all the, the products that I needed at harvest time available at sowing time. I had the products that I needed at sowing available at sowing time. Does that make sense? So how, what we would do, so say, for example, if you were sowing over the months of March and April, you would be needing, just an example, uh, you'd be using an air seeder. And those air seeders would have hoses on them or pipes where the seed would travel through and be planted into the ground. Okay, so we would supply the air seeder hose. So back in, uh, what would it be? It would have been October. We were starting to assess what amounts of stock we would need for air seeder season because they don't just keep it on the shelf in the suppliers. They had to manufacture it over that period of time so that it was available at the time that the farmer needed it. So we would assess the, the, the truckloads of the hose that we need and we would place an order on that. The other thing that we would do was we would get in a little bit of development. It's good to develop things as well, right? And we would, we would spend a bit of time with the developers because you wanted to ensure that the product that you were giving was right for the purpose it was going to be used for. True? Right. So air seeder hose had to be more flexible than water hose. Okay? It had to be more abrasive resistant than water hose because seed is more abrasive. You can see the things I'm starting to talk about. But what we were in the business of was we were in the business of selling consumables to support the industry that we were uh, called to support at the same time as turning a profit. It sounds like a good business, doesn't it? Yeah? So that's what we were doing, right? So you can understand the process we'd have to go through to make sure we had the right stuff on the shelf to support what was going on. Collier and Miller really helped me glean a lot in relation to who I am today and the ministry that God's called me to do. Opportunities I wouldn't have had. We placed this huge order and, uh, and eventually what would happen is that would go on the machine and we'd have a successful sowing season and then we'd all sit back and we'd wait for God to open the windows of heaven. Praise the Lord, he's opened the windows of heaven this week, right? The amazing rain that we've had right now over this last week, uh, for some people they've had two inches or 50 mil of rain. Some people have had a little bit more. I know I was at mum and dad's place the other night, last night, and their place was wet again. It had rained again. Sarah's dad said to me yesterday they got another 10 mil over, Saturday, over Friday night. And that, that's a lot of water. I can remember Monday, uh, was it Tuesday morning? What night did it rain? Anyway, I was coming in from home and driving along. And you know you've lived in the area long enough when you can tell the seasons by what you're looking at. We can say, see what's happened. I'm driving in, I'm like, thank you, Lord, we've had two inches of rain. And I've gone, yep, definitely two inches of rain. And then I heard on the report, Bill Bangra had 50 mil of rain overnight, so there's two inches of rain. How did I know that? Because the ground was wet. No, because the grapevines were flooded and the orange paddocks were flooded with water. So you can kind of gauge what's going on, right? You can, turn, turn, you can learn the seasons and you can learn by watching lots of things. But there's something in God that's more than just looking in the natural and we've got to start to understand and unpack God's word without just looking in the natural. All the while being prepared for the seasons that are coming. We are, we are going to be entering, or we are entering a season of harvest. But we can't enter that season of harvest until we've been diligent with the sowing of the seed. All right? Now I'm talking here about the lives of the lost. 
ultimately. But we can utilise this sowing and reaping uh, principle throughout all of our lives as Christians. And, and that's kind of what I want to touch on a little bit today. So the church has been busy in the background. And when I, when I talk about the church, I'm talking about us. I'm not talking about me. I'm not talking about the leadership. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking you and I. Everyone say, I'm the church. We are the church. Yep. We are the church, right? Together, collectively. Pastor James, when he was talking about being the bride of Christ, didn't want to creep us out by saying that he was the bride of Christ, right? He was talking about us. We are the bride of Christ, all right? That's a good thing, a good analogy to understand. So we've been busy in the background. How? Well, we've been busy praying. Yeah? We've been preparing. You prepare the soil often, right? Making sure that the, the ground is ready to receive. Uh, dreaming. Tell, raise your hands if you've been dreaming in God. I think that's a pretty important thing. And, uh, and, and most importantly, we've been praying again. Um, why? Because we're praying into a season of sowing, believing that we're going to receive a harvest. Uh, I believe we have put in the faith steps that have positioned the atmosphere for an amazing sowing season. Faith is not actionless. Everyone say that. Faith is not actionless. Faith moves us to action. And trust is the soil that causes faith to grow. Faith, trust, what they say? Gratitude, sow the seed. Here we go. Jesus had amazing trust in the goodness of God. Yeah? It's a fair point, isn't it? God never let Jesus down. And this was one place that birthed great faith. Because God was so good, it continued to birth an atmosphere of faith in and around Jesus, right? People would come to him to answer all sorts of problems in their life because he trusted in God. He had faith that God was his father. He often talked to us about how the father, every time he mentioned God, he introduces God not as God Almighty or God Jehovah, or God Rapha, all of these things that the Old Testament, he introduced to the people that he ministered to, God the Father. It was a concept that was foreign to them. But he knew that God was his Father. God never let Jesus down. Amen? Someone sent me a picture yesterday, and it was um, something that they'd been pondering on, and, and I saw it on Facebook somewhere along the line this week, somewhere, and I'll try and remember it. It was... Jesus, it was something along the lines that Jesus had no unanswered prayers. Isn't that interesting? <clears throat> Jesus had faith to believe that if he asked, the Father would give. So much so that he taught us to think the same. All right, we've touched on those scriptures many times over the last few months. Again, preparing the soil. What goes into the soil is seed. So I think it takes faith to plant the seed. Is that right? Trust is to believe that the seed is available. Faith is to believe that God brings forth the increase. I trust that God is going to do something good 
but I show my trust by applying faith. Does that make sense? Because trust without action is the same as faith without action. They're both dead, right? Not everyone understands farming, and I get that. So let's try and put this in another context, in a way that maybe some of the city folk like Pastor Micah might understand. Right, eh? <laughs> you know, sometimes about farming, I wish I knew more. We had a couple of agronomists in here this morning and still one down the back. Oh, I would have loved to have gone and studied agronomy or something and had the opportunity to go and work even more on some farms instead of just selling goods to them. Now, I understand the process because I grew up a farmer, son of a farmer, right? So I understand a lot of it, but they're different types of farming, okay? Um, but I also think that that kind of concept comes a little bit natural for me because I grew up on a farm, whereas for some people that didn't grow up on a farm, it takes a lot more effort to think about. So let's put it in that context um, to help you unpack this. Um, this will help you unpack the sowing and reaping because Jesus didn't just talk about agricultural things. He also talked in ways that people who didn't farm understood. And we'll, we'll talk about that one in a second. But think about this for a minute. Fruit and veggies come from the farm, right? Milk and bread come from the farm. Our clothing, you're thinking cotton, comes from the farm. Wool comes from the farm. But for many of you, that stuff comes from the shop. True? But we've got to teach our kids. It's that literal. We go to the shop to buy two litres of milk. You have to teach your kids that that didn't come in a carton from the shop. That that actually came from a cow on a farm and had to go through a process to get into that bottle. True? Okay. And that, that cow just didn't produce the milk without having good food, green grass to eat. Okay? So when you think about it in that context, we all kind of understand farming, but we understand shopping more. <laughs> True? Right. Okay, so, so we go to the store. We today reap the benefit of someone else's faith and trust. It makes us lazy, actually. True? So we've got to action our faith and trust in other ways, like Woolworths is going to have, or Audi, or, or the corner store, or the, or the servo is going to have the two litres of milk that we need tonight to keep the baby happy. True? Or uh, I'm going to put the key in my car and it's going to start because I had enough um, sense to put fuel in it. But when I went to the fuel station, there was fuel in the Bowser, so therefore I didn't really have to action faith and trust. You know where I had to action faith and trust? was in the middle of the COVID pandemic last year when uh, I couldn't get toilet paper. True? I had to have faith that no one was going to smack me in the mouth at the moment I picked up a, the last packet of toilet paper. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to have seen them try, but still, that's another story, all right? But anyway, like how we, how we utilise faith and trust is a very different concept to the farmer who trusts that the seed is in his hand or in the machine and they plant it into the ground and now they have to have faith in God who's going to open up the windows of heaven, who does so, by the way, on both the good and the bad. How good is God? Like, uh, 
little old Jill over here that's planted a crop and good Christian girl going to church and all that sort of stuff. You know, God just doesn't open the window of heaven on her. And, you know, when God blesses her, he also blesses her neighbours, right? Whether they believe in him or not. Okay, so faith and trust, it's just hopefully Jill gets a little bit more of a harvest. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I, some people have to put faith in the taxi's going to be on time. Or he's not going to put an extra $20 on the bill at the end of the ride. So, some people have to put faith in the bus timetable or the train timetable, right? Trusting that it's going to be there when they need it. And that it's going to stay on the rails if it's the train or it's going to stay on the road because you're not in control of that bus, right, or that train. But, so we've got to action these things in different ways to help us understand that no matter what, I'm placing my faith and my trust in something. And we can choose to place our faith and trust into the things that we see in the natural or we can choose to place our faith and our trust into God whom we can't see but his evidence is all around us by his goodness. And these are the things I think I believe Jesus is talking about when it comes to stewardship and, and, and sowing in faith. Can I have the next slide up? There's a... There's a story in the New Testament, and you can make it out by the pictures pretty quickly. That was my aim. A small Hebrew boy who's got a nice lunch. Some sardines and a few barley. That's not barley bread, by the way. That's just bread, right? But it's barley loaves. Jesus and his disciples have been ministering. When I say ministering, what they've been doing is teaching the, the word of God about the kingdom, and they have been ministering healing and deliverance and miracles into people's needs. When Jesus is on the scene, people are coming to them. What's in the atmosphere is charged because they place their faith, their trust into him, and the atmosphere is charged with faith. But the reality is Jesus gets tired and so does his disciples. And they begin to desire a bit of a break. So they jump in a boat and they cross over the Sea of Galilee. And as they're going, the people were so amazed by how good Jesus was and how well he ministered and the faith atmosphere. There's something about a charged faith atmosphere that inspires people. When that atmosphere was charged, they're like, I can't miss this. I can't be in a place where I can't be in this place. Does that make sense? Like, they begin to run around the Sea of Galilee and they meet Jesus on the other side. That's some pretty crazy, hectic thinking, right? But this wasn't, this wasn't two crazy people like Pastor James and Pastor Steve. This was 5,000 men. You know, this is the only miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Interesting, isn't it? It's the principle of sowing and reaping here that is understood. I want to read a bit of this for us. John chapter 6. I'm going to pick up from verse 5. Um, it says this, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming. By the way, a multitude. Well, the, the title says feeding the 5,000. It later says there was 5,000 men. So how many were there? Could have easily been fifteen to 20,000 people. It's huge, the group of people. Like you're not even allowed that many in the MCG at the moment. 
But this is a huge group of people. That Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? It's getting late in the day. I haven't eaten all day. I'd be pretty hungry by now myself. Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? I think it's good to understand the humanity and the love of Jesus because he understands their need and he's prepared to meet it in that statement. He doesn't say, where shall we send them? He says, where shall we buy? And Philip's answer is interesting. Well, verse 6 says, but this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. I love that. Faith already. Number seven, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. A little, right? Now, Jesus is not a God of the little, right? He's a God of abundance. So Jesus wasn't talking about buying them bread, giving them a little. But Philip's using his, his mind that has been conditioned by the world. 200 denarii, 200 days worth of wages. Now think about that for a minute. Say we just set an average amount of $100 a day. Now, I know some people are on more than that and other people are on less than that. I'm not using it as a comparison, but say you were earning $100 a day. All right, that's $20,000 worth of bread. There's a lot of loaves of bread, isn't it? $20,000 worth of bread. Some bread's dollar a loaf. Sometimes you can get a little bit cheaper if you're like Pastor James and shop at Coles late in the night. <laughs> Um, other times, it's 4 or $5 a loaf. So let, let's just pick a, a middle ground. Let's just say a, a $2 loaf of bread. Because a $2 loaf of bread is going to sustain me for a day. Probably, probably going to make me fat. But, uh, but uh, um, it still would help me feel sustained, okay? So, so, so that's 10,000 loaves of bread. Could you imagine 10,000 loaves of bread just sitting here on the floor at the moment? That's a lot of bread, right? Yeah. So that's, we'll put it in the real context. Say, say there's 20,000 people there. And that, doesn't, that makes a lot of sense. Men, women, there's double, there's 10,000. And say everyone's got a couple of rugrats, there's 20,000 people, all right? 20,000 people, 10,000 loaves of bread, that's half a load of bread, half a loaf of bread. That's a little bit more than a morsel, right? In our, just as in our today. But Jesus is not talking about a morsel of bread. He wants to give you loaves of bread in this sense. He wants you to feel nourished. He wants you to feel sustained because that's the statement that he makes. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Think about that for a minute. What are they among so many? Andrew had enough knowledge to understand that there was a little bit of food and he was inquisitive enough to ask Jesus what that can become. That's interesting. He, he identifies that there was supply, understanding that that wasn't enough to feed the multitude, but he also identified whose hands he should put it in. He identified the seed and he identified the soil. Does that make sense? Five loaves, two fish, 
Jesus, if I put it into your hands, what can you do? There's a lad here with five loaves and two fish. What good's that amongst so many? Well, Jesus says, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. Praise the Lord, they weren't sitting on stones. But the men sat down in numbers, about 5,000. And Jesus took his loaves, and when he had given thanks, everyone say, gave him thanks. What's that, gratitude? He distributed them to the disciples. And the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. How far do you think two sardines would go? As much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. So frugal, Jesus. Amazing. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Everyone say amen. Isn't that a good picture? Jesus uses this story to speak to people who aren't agricultural, but who understand the need of their belly. In other words, he's speaking to all people. You don't have to understand the concept, except the seed was sown into good soil. Amen? Is Jesus good soil or not? Amen. Like, so good was the soil of Jesus' hands and the gratitude of his heart toward God, so good was that soil that 12 basketfuls of, of bread was left over. And I'm thinking bigger baskets than these tubs up here, right? 12 basketfuls were left over after that group of people had eaten their full amount. They could have eaten their full weight in bread and fish and been extremely satisfied, and Jesus still would have had his disciples collect 12 basketfuls, a basketful of bread each. Isn't that amazing of Jesus? That not only did he provide their need for there and then, but he overflowed and blessed the one, the one who sowed the seed. That small boy ended up with those 12 baskets to take home and to bless his community. There's a little bit of overflow if you ask for me. The seed is enough when it's placed into Jesus' hands. Can we have the next slide, mate? Things a bit slow today. Sounds a bit like me. In the hands of a small boy... It was his lunch. But in the hands of Jesus, it was a miracle of abundant supply. How many times are we caught out thinking about now and not about the miracle that can come? How many times are we caught out with a seed in our hands, but we choose not to sow it to gratify the flesh? This doesn't mean, this isn't just about sowing into church. How many times are you holding on to $10 and you see the need and you could sow that into a, a person's life, like a homeless person or something, by taking them for a warm cup of coffee? 
and buying them something to eat. And you can, you can sow that seed into their life and yet you miss it because you want to buy yourself a cup of coffee. Does that make sense? Like, Jesus uses this context, and I didn't share this in the first, but it's just coming to me now. Just, I believe this is a word for someone. We can choose to give to ourselves, or we can choose to sow to the kingdom. Does that make sense? Like, Jesus says that he's talking to the people coming into the kingdom, and, and he tells them that they, they fed him, and that they clothed him, and that they gave him a cup of water. And they're like, when did we do this? Well, every time he'd done that for one of these... You did it for me. That, that, that brings a real reality check to me because it's like I've got a seed to sow and sometimes the hands of Jesus is that person on the street. Does that make sense? Sometimes, obviously you've got to use wisdom here and you've got to use, um, you've got to use grace and favor and faith and trust and, 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 and the guidance of the Holy Spirit because you don't want to go over the top and give them so much that they get their next meth hit, right? You know what I'm saying. But sometimes your faith should be enough to say, let's go and get a cup of coffee because that cup of coffee is being sown into Jesus' hands because you're revealing the kingdom. Does that make sense? I think that's a real sobering word when we understand stewardship. What is in your hand today that if you entrusted it to Jesus will be multiplied to benefit this whole city? Jesus takes what we have to offer. He then gives thanks for it on our behalf, releasing gratitude into the atmosphere and God moves with the abundance of blessing when he opens the windows of heaven. It makes sense in the farming world and it makes sense in our everyday life if we understand the process and principle of sowing and reaping. God always has our backs when we sow in faith. In Matthew, we see Jesus commending those he was teaching not to worry, not to be concerned. Let's read it. Matthew chapter 6. One of my first passages of scripture I ever got to learn. I, I forgot this. I'm only just remembering it now. My old Bible, the one I was given when I was 10 years of age, this was the, the only passage that I'd underlined in it with a yellow highlighter. I was 10, and it's the only one. You think Jesus was saying something to me back then? Because he knows that I'm a bit of an anxious kind of person at times, wondering where my next thing will come from or worrying about something. But Matthew chapter 6 says this, verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Okay, that's a load off. <laughs> Jesus said it, right? Do not worry about your life. I reckon that's enough. I think your next slide, Rubes, I think you can keep up with me, maybe. No, you can go back one, that's all right. Do not worry about your life. Don't even worry about the slide for a minute. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. How many people are worried about their image at the moment? Oh, sorry. <laughs> keep on task Steve keep on task nor about your body what you will put on it is not life more than food and the body more than clothing 
Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. <laughs> Tells me that God's got a different opinion compared to what we think is splendor. Amen? Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And then he says this, O you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Verse 33, But seek first Gucci and Lamborghini and, hey, McDonald's or KFC, whichever one you tickle your fancy. Your worries reveal your heart, right? Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. I, I would rather invest my faith into the words of Jesus than the words of a salesman any time of the life, right? The advertising on telly, you need this. You want this? I might want it, but I don't need it. I would rather invest my faith into his word and his promise than into anything else. And I can tell you, I haven't got the time to go through all of the things Jesus has done in my life. I've been a Christian for 31 years, nearly 32 years. I could probably spend hours upon hours unpacking where I've found the faithfulness of God. Even when I owed the government more than $10,000, I still saw Jesus in it. Do you know what I mean? Like, Jesus was even gracious in my mistake. Think about that. Sowing. Sowing is all about faith. Faith is completely about trust. And trust cannot be extended unless we are surrendered to it. As the small boy gave his lunch to Jesus, he trusted that it was enough for Jesus and Jesus multiplied his surrender. Have you thought about that? How Jesus could multiply your surrender? These are promises we see outworked all throughout Scripture but to receive these promises, we must surrender to it in faith, believing that Jesus is who he says he is, the one that we sing about when we sing promise keeper. Light in the dark. Amen? Next slide. Luke 6.38 says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back 
to you. This is talking about the measure of your heart, the measure of your faith, the measure of your trust, the measure of your surrender, which can be applied to any part of your Christian walk, not just stewardship. Because stewardship is about time, talent, treasure. Is that right? Have I got the right pictures? Awesome. Stewardship is not just about money. Any area of your Christian walk can be surrendered in faith. Amen? Giving and receiving go hand in hand like sowing and reaping. Like they, can't, they, 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 they can't be separated. Generosity is so against the world system because it's anti-self or anti-self. Yet the promise is that we will be blessed. Give and it will be given to you. Now we don't give to receive, do we? That's the wrong way around. We give to reveal our heart, our surrender, our willingness to believe in Jesus, our willingness to put our faith in Him, to sow whatever the benefit would be. But we give because we trust Jesus. And we trust His ways. And, and this leads me to this question. Are we opposed to the world or are we of the world? Because if my generosity is and, and my life sown into Jesus, if, if it's somehow structured by my worldview, then it's anti-Christ. You understand that? If, if your generosity is formed by what the world reveals as generosity, then you'll never understand God and surrender and faith and trust and reaping after you've sown. You'll never understand that. Because the world's generosity is very different. The world tells me to be generous to me. And out of the overflow of being generous to me, maybe I'll have enough left for my wife and my kids. And if I've got enough left after that, then maybe I can sow to a charity or someone in need because of a bushfire. But God's generosity is completely different because he understands that to, for us to overcome ourselves, it takes generosity of surrender of heart to him. To fully commit my life to him, knowing that he will outwork a benefit to all. You know, there's this little quip about insanity. We all know it. Insanity is doing the same thing over and expecting a different result. True? How many times have we tried personally to save only to have moth and rust destroyed? I can tell you the number of times I've tried to save in my life. And it's a debacle. My savings were shot. I was living... Day to day at times. You can sit down and talk to my wife if she'll ever want to talk to you about it. How many times we're in tears because we didn't have that which we need or the, the money for the next bill. Or, or, you know, we lived with our parents for five years. Now, while, while that might sound harsh for some of you, that was us learning these principles of sowing and reaping. We reaped a harvest, and I believe mum and dad reaped a harvest because of that time. Because they were generous enough to open their home. Does that make sense? 
The lessons you learn in life reveal Jesus in the midst of them, whether they're trial or tribulation or good times, if we're open enough to understand. I want to live opposite to the world. I don't want moth and rust to destroy that which God has blessed me with. So I rather sow it continually, because when it's moving, it's growing, right? As I'm sowing, it's reaping. The next verse in Luke chapter 6, that's chapter 6, verse 38. The next verse is really interesting. It says, and I've got it here. In the context of giving, which that's the context. Verse 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Everyone loves that scripture, right? Yeah, it justifies your giving. The next scripture is interesting because it Jesus it says and Jesus spoke a parable to them. Jesus always used a parable after to teach the lesson. He says and Jesus spoke a parable to them. This is his parable. It's all of one line. You ready? Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? Not a great parable to understand that one. Well, I think it's to help us understand that the to follow the systems of this world is blind faith. The blind leads us into the ditch. Does that make sense? That his words are so wise. We have the choice to take Jesus' advice in relation to generosity, which is to surrender to God, or we can follow the world's ways and together fall in that ditch. Because they're so opposed. World's generosity and the kingdom generosity are so opposed. Generous overflow of faith. The true mark of generosity is the overflow of abundance. In, revel- in, in relation to sowing, according to Scripture, the overflow is that the return of harvest will come back either 30, 60, or 100 fold. Is that right? Now that's what God's Word says, but what does God's action really reveal? Isn't that an interesting question? 30, 60, or 100 fold. Which one is it? If I'm going to plant the seed today, I might plant a dollar today, am I going to get $30 back? Wrong thinking, right? But Jesus is talking in this respect because he's talking to human beings. I'm going to filter it through their brain, the gray matter between my ears, right? I think man's lim- reasoning is limited. Even a hundredfold is limited to God. Why? Because the ultimate example Pastor Micah revealed last week to us. He alluded to it, but I'm going to share the scripture of it. In John 12, Jesus is approached by some Greek men who wanted to meet Jesus. Awesome people, right? I need Jesus. I need to go and meet Jesus. But the fact that it reveals that they're Greek They probably wanted to debate him on their philosophy. There's a reason it puts it in there, right? They wanted to use their brain with Jesus. Jesus, knowing the season and understanding the hour, chooses not to go and see these men that were seeking him. I find that interesting. 
Anyway, John 12, 23 to 26 says this, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. Jesus is talking to himself or about himself as a seed, as a grain of wheat. I want to help you unpack something. God's abundance isn't seen in the 30, 60 or 100 fold. Because that's not kingdom mentality. That was Jesus answering humans to human thinking and logic. Because this is how he answers according to the kingdom. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Everyone say much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. And listen to this, and if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. When it comes to the kingdom of God, 30, 60, 100 out of the window. Why? Because when Jesus, the seed, who is not only the son of God, but is also a, in his humanity, completely sin-free, guilt-free. He is completely at liberty to live forever because sin never touched his life death could not touch him the reality is jesus gave up his life he did not die because a roman soldier nailed him to the cross jesus surrendered the seed to the father's hand he gave up his spirit on that cross he surrendered the seed to the hand of the Father. Now if Jesus' hands was good soil, how much do you think the soil of God's hands is going to be when it's surrendered son to Father? 30, 60, 100 fold? Remember, one seed that could live forever. If he chose to live forever, he would be forever alone. But we understand the motive of God's heart because we can go back to Genesis. This is not good for man to be alone. God's words. Let us make man in our image. Why? Because he wanted to share the love of God abroad. Share the love of God amongst. Because love cannot just remain between you, yourself and I. Love must be expressed. So Jesus, the seed that could remain forever, gave up his life so that a hundred people could come to Jesus? A hundred people could come to the Father? You want to understand kingdom mentality, you have to understand that the perpetual reaping of the kingdom is the benefit that we are 2,000 years later all a part of this harvest. And if Jesus doesn't come back in another thousand years, there'll be a more of a harvest. One seed, the harvest multiplied after multiplied after multiplied after multiplied. You and I are the benefit of Jesus sowing into the soil of God's hand. 
When you understand that, you understand that your life can be a seed that can be sown into God's hand too. And when you sow your life into the hands of God, money is no longer the issue. Can I tell you that? Because God paves his streets with gold. Is gold the issue? Or is my heart the issue? When I surrender my heart to Jesus, all of a sudden my hands are placed in his and kingdom perspective is that I can expect a miracle. I can expect a healing. I can expect the surrender of another heart to Jesus. I can expect that when I share the gospel, people will hear it. And the seed who was faithful and went into the soil and died on my behalf reaps a harvest of another soul. That's the church. That's who we are. It just so happens to be that we need resources to live in this world. And we pay our taxes and we do all of this sort of stuff so that we can exist. But Jesus had to pay the temple tax for him and Peter. You know why it was only him and Peter? You know why he didn't throw out the, 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 the fishing rod and, and bring in 12, 13 coins? Because Peter was the only adult. Jesus and Peter were the only adults. They were the only ones that needed to pay the temple tax. His young disciples understood this because they sowed their life. They became martyrs for Jesus. And you and I reap the benefit of that today because they surrendered everything to God. What happens when a church surrenders everything to God? I don't know, but I can tell you that Griffith would be a very different place. I can tell you Australia would be a very different place. When Jesus sows himself and the harvest is as abundant as there is no end, what happens when his church does the same? You want to be like Jesus, I'm telling you, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, that talks of surrender. It cannot reap a harvest. Jesus truly understood the principle of sowing and reaping. His life for the salvation of those who would believe. Isn't that a remarkable benefit? And the promise that comes that if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You won't be worried about gold when it comes to God honoring you. You won't be worrying about what your mansion looks like. But you will. You will grieve if you don't realize, if you realize that you could have been closer to the Father than where you finished up. My question is Jesus worth serving? Is Jesus' example enough? The world that so needs the church to stand up strong, strong, influential, redeeming things. That the enemy stole. Some examples could be the arts. There's a season when Christian music was the top of the pops. That needs to be the constant. When, when the art has been recaptured for the prophetic voice of God. The dance, the song, the, the sculpture, the, the painting, whatever it is, the arts redeemed for God. What about when schooling is redeemed for God? 
What about when support for people in need is redeemed for God instead of handing our obligation over to the government? Have you thought about that? The ministry of helps. This is a message that the world needs. That Jesus was enough to destroy the works of the enemy and to reap an abundance that you and I are a part of. Either we believe Jesus is enough or we need to check our faith. Do we trust him? And if we trust him, are we willing to sow our lives? And honestly, guys and girls, if I gotta, I'm doing some business with God right here in this moment. And I've got to understand that if none of you come forward this morning and sow an offering, I would sooner watch you sow your life for Jesus than to sow your money into a church. I would sooner have you on your knees on the floor, fully surrendered to Jesus. But the step of faith that I'm asking us to do when it comes to giving financially is you have to understand that if your wallet rules your thoughts, then God hasn't got your heart anyway. It's a token. It's symbolic. It's it's an analogy of saying I'm going to give because God has my everything. I've heard stories of of churches being challenged to sacrifice two months of their salary. And the whole church responded. And breakthrough after breakthrough, no bill went unpaid. No, no person went hungry. And I'm talking churches of thousands of people. And how it was paid forward, that churches were able to build facilities in their locations debt-free because of they responded to God's lead. And they were able to impact their city because money had no hold on them. God, you don't understand, right? I could dig a hole here and I could pull out of that soil. There's not one there, but I could. I could pull out of that soil a diamond that would be worth enough to do anything that we ever wanted to do. God could do that. You know why he doesn't do that? Because it's not about the money, it's about your heart. It's about your surrender. And when you surrender it to him, he's glorified. And frankly, I'm not, and neither are you. And that's the way it should be. Amen? So I'm going to invite the whole band to come. They're going to sing for us this morning because they're allowed to and we're not. But why not, hey? And as they sing, they're going to sing, I exalt thee. And as they sing, I exalt thee, I I want to open the front up and it's open to anybody. If you want to come, we've already got some seeds sown here. Look, people have come in and they've sown their seeds into the soil this morning in the 8.30 service. They're sowing in faith. If you want to come and bring an offering unto the Lord and sow into the soil, I'm going to pray that God opens the windows of heaven and it'll be a blessing that not only the church can contain, but you can't contain either. That's what I'm believing for. But I'm believing even deeper than that because I know that this message is speaking to your heart about surrender to God. Amen. 
I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. The step of faith is yours between you and God. And Reuben, can I have the slide with Exodus 25, please, mate? I'm one of you today. All the way to the end, buddy. Oh, too far. Maybe your faith is growing. Maybe, maybe you're, you're not at that place of 100% surrender to God. And, and that's okay, right? Because this is, this is what the Lord said to the people of Israel, His people. He said in Exodus 25, Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly. Everyone say willingly. Willingly. With his heart, you shall take my offering. I started by saying, faith, trust, gratitude. As you step forward, you're going to have faith that God is going to meet you where you are at in your willingness. As you place it in the soil, you're going to trust that God is the best place to sow your seed. And then you're going to give thanks. Because you're not willingly giving if you walk away and go, wow, that cost me a lot of money. You're going to give thanks for the ability to sow what God has already blessed you with. Amen. God, thank you that I can put this in here today. And I trust that you will multiply it for your kingdom in my life and in the lives of others. That's all I ask. Willingly not being compelled. Like I said last week, one person said they want to put in $10 a month because that's all they can afford. And I'm telling you, that is just like the widow's mite, the copper coins. And if you're at home and you're watching this online and you weren't able to make it in today, maybe your step of faith is to take a photograph of your, your pledge slip and send that to me or one of the other pastors in a text message and say, I'm partnering with you in faith today. Just because you're not in the room doesn't mean you can't partner with what God's doing. Amen. So our, our band's going to lead us. And I'm going to let you do some business with God. And as you step forward, I'm going to have my back to everybody. I'm going to be looking at everyone there. Eh? It's not about that. I'm going to just stand here and I'm going to trust. And then we're going to pray as a church together. Amen. Thanks, Tess. No, thanks to the fire. Thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above
worship you in this place, Lord. We give you glory and we give you honor. which God has blessed us with. We've got a lot to be thankful for, a lot to be grateful for. But our life is no longer a debt that is owed because Jesus paid the price. Our lives are now a seed that we sow. And I got this feeling there's a couple of people, if not more, that just need to be on bended knee this morning as we pray. Don't wait for me if you feel like you want to bend your knee and kneel before the king. You'll see your surrender. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray together. Let's extend our faith as we placed our seed into the hand of God himself. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity that we've had today. How grateful we are that the seed fell upon good soil. That your seed was enough to save a wretch like me. Jesus, we are sorry for the times that we've put ourselves first. We are sorry for the times that we thought you were not enough. Today we declare you are enough. We surrender our lives to you once again.
We give all to you. Holy Spirit, we ask that as you lead us, that you'll give us the faith and the grace to respond to your calling. Today, Lord, as a seed of our faith sown into this soil, Holy God, we ask that you would open the windows of heaven as it states in Malachi, and that you will pour out an abundance that it cannot be contained. Father, that the seed will be multiplied and achieve what it was sent for, but ultimately, Lord, so that people may know you. Jesus, you said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. That's what you said. Lord Jesus, life source and its ministries want to draw men unto you. So we lift you up in this city and we declare the glory of God. I pray for an abundance of supply for our need. Lord, that you will deal with the anxieties of our heart and the worry that we carry in this life. Show yourself faithful as you did with Jesus, the Savior of our souls. Thank you, Jesus, for the provision of our need. Over and above, pressed down, overshaken, overflowing, all that we require and more, like the 12 baskets for that small boy. Lord, let there be an overflow of abundance that we may bless and meet the needs of this city. Father, I pray that you be lifted up and that you would bless us in such a way, Lord, that even the livestock of this city would be blessed. So much so, Lord God, that the world would see what is going on in this city and they too would fall upon their knees and surrender to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Father, we thank you and we exalt you and we honor you in this place. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing you have already given us. And we walk in faith today, trusting, Lord, that you have already been where we need to go. And you have already provided that which we need. In Jesus' name, and God's church says, Amen. Amen. Church, be blessed. Have a wonderful Sunday. Oh, um, I have, sadly, I have cancelled the 5.30 meeting for tonight but uh, I want to encourage you to not see this as a night off but the day is the Lord's amen Sunday belongs to Jesus for us and if we're true about that then I want to encourage you in your home whether you're living alone or you're living with friends or you're living in family you're allowed up to five people in your house right so you don't have to be alone you can invite someone around at 5 30 we're going to pray we're going to pray for an abundant blessing to pour out upon our nation. We want to see this COVID ridiculousness destroyed in the name of Jesus and across from our nation throughout the world. As fast as this pandemic influenced the world, we know the Holy Spirit can go forward even faster. Amen. So begin to partner with us in prayer tonight at 5.30. Look, 10, 15 minutes. You don't have to go long. If you want to go for hours, please, that's fine. Go for half an hour, 10, 15 minutes. That's all right. But pray in the spirit, intercede for this nation, intercede for our leaders. It's a tough place for them to be. They don't want to be enforcing us to do this stuff, but they have to. So let's, let's just honor them and pray for them for wisdom and pray for them that they make the right decisions. But at the same time, let's just let's together in partnership, 
believe that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. Amen. Ephesians 3.20, if you want to go and check it up. God can do over and above anything you can imagine. Think about that. Because I can imagine a lot of things. Just as quick as COVID came in, it can go like that. Amen. But let's partner together in prayer. Let's be the blessing we're called to be. And trust that Jesus can overflow in the world. Amen. God bless you. Have a fantastic day. Go and have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. Lay hands on people and pray for them. Amen.